All right, let me do an official start here. Oh, let me make you uh, let me make you host so that you, we can seamlessly move right into it. All right, so I made you host. So when you want to share, you can. All right, let me start. Hello and welcome to Swing Smarter Monthly Newsletter. This is your host, Joey Myers from HittingPerformanceLab.com. And in a part two, I have my good friend, Perry Husband of HittingIsAGuest.com. And I'm sure we can circle back and talk about where else we can find them. But on Twitter, EV, E is in Elephant, V is in Victor, Perry Husband. And I know YouTube, he's got a lot of really cool videos. So just search Perry Husband on YouTube. Good friend of mine. For those of you that know Effective Velocity, that is a world beyond a world, and I'm still learning. I'm, I think Perry would probably consider me a, I think I'm a little bit more than a white belt. I might be more of like a, <laughs> an orange or a yellow belt, <laughs> but I'm not a black belt in it for sure. Uh, but in this, in this, uh, so first let me welcome you. Welcome, Perry. Thank you. Great to be here. Always, <laughs> always fun. Always fun. And uh, so in this particular ep episode or this newsletter or chapter, however you're watching this, because this will become a book soon. Um, I wanted to talk about forward momentum and some things that go along with that. There's a lot of information out there on it. And I wanted to really take forward momentum as a theme around uh, consequences. So depending on what you teach, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, some out there teaching 80 to 90% load on that back leg and zero forward momentum, just know that everything that is taught has a consequence. So yeah. we'll talk about that a little bit more. So Perry, let's, let's transition right into that. So what is your, what is your opinion <laughs> guess, uh, on I can, Go ahead. I can honestly say that from my perspective, it's everything when it comes to how I started the whole teaching process. Meaning um, when I was, when I first got out of pro baseball, I went into, um, into golf. I taught golf for four or five years. And one of the first things I learned was how the back foot releasing and transferring energy forward was a major factor, not only in how hard you hit it, but how consistent you hit it. And, and maybe more important, it, when, when you release the backside perfectly, it, it was the one thing that let you be consistent. Same, 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 same all the time. Because the second you didn't release off the backside, everything starts to shift and change. Like you mentioned um, with, with some people out there that believe in the uh, rotational theory completely. Mm. For me, um, rotation is super important, but it's only one of the elements. And that momentum to me was number one. So when I first started teaching baseball, after I got out of everything, because um, I let I, I hated baseball for about three or four years. I was me gone. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Burned my cleats and glove. I hit a bomb on my last at bat in the in the. I think I was twenty two. Ripped. I went like ten for seventeen with four jacks in that NBC <laughs> tournament in Wichita. Mm -hmm. My last game, I, I hit two bombs. And I hit a bomb in my last at bat into that little river yep. on the other side of the on the other side of the right field fence. <laughs> and I'm like, if I don't get it, if I don't get somebody calling me tonight, I'm done. I'm out. Mm -hmm. So nothing. And so I, I decided I'm hanging them up. So I went into golf full time, and it, it was so enlightening to me to to be to do golf because it's so precise. 
you have virtually no margin for error and just like one or two degrees off and you're so far off your target that you can't even play the game. Right. So you're, you have to be super close to being precise. So I started looking at the baseball swing after I learned how to hit a golf ball long ways and consistently. Um, I started translating that back into baseball and one of the key elements out of the gate and so much so that I almost like went too far into that one element of, of releasing the backside or momentum, you know, because that's what it creates is that body speed is one of the, a lot of people won't, won't recognize it because I typically, when I talk about it, I say body speed, mm. meaning just the energy of what transpires when you get momentum going forward. Momentum is a better word, I think. Um, and I've started to use it a little bit more as of late. In fact, my last presentation that I did for the NFCA uh, for Mr. Oates, um, I, I did a whole thing on, on what I think are the most key elements in the swing. And one of those was that uh, momentum. And I used that, that term. Mm -hmm. So I'll be using that term more now. I, I love it. <laughs> So uh, go into, we talked about consequences, right? So what are the consequences? And we can talk about, we don't want to be biased. So we'll talk about the consequences maybe of momentum, if you can, if you can argue that there are some, which there are, but maybe minimal compared to what are the consequences to really loading up the backside 80 to 90% of the weight during the turn? What are the consequences to that that you see? Well, it's massive. There, there are massive problems with that because, and it, and that depends though too, because you can, you can have, and I haven't done a lot of work yet with, um, with the sensors on the ground, the yep. launch, you know, yep. the things that, that help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've done a ton of work in it. I just haven't seen the data, but what I want to, one of, one of the things that happens in baseball that's so crucial is that players get stuck on their backside. So in other words, if you get weight on your backside as opposed to against your backside, and there's a huge difference because if you're on your backside, then I can walk up with two fingers and put them on your hips and push you over. And if that's the case, then you have no chance against elite level pitching. Unless the elite level pitching bends over backwards to throw fastballs downhill <laughs> and away to where you have more time. Because by the time you get, you, you get stuck back there and you have to fall forward in order to get momentum going. So there's, there, at, at a certain point, there's no way to push that way. So if I'm stuck on my backside, I can wait here a long time, which helps me on off-speed pitches, but it kills me on fastballs elevated and in. Because by the time I start to go to that, I have no choice but to cheat my whole mechanics, start creating space with my body. And, and I'm trying to get the barrel to a place that's, you know, that's taking five miles an hour off the pitch, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's the major cause. That's a major problem is, is that when, you, when, you're not, when you're not against your back leg, which means I'm loading, I'm against my back leg, and I can go that way instantly. Without that, without that, I'm looking for that as a pitcher in the other dugout because if you're stuck on your back leg, then that means that you have to fall into the action. And if you have to fall into the action, then I can, I can guess what timing that is going to happen. And it's not a very bad, it's not, it's never a very far away guess. <laughs> the guess is almost exact. 
within a couple EV miles an hour as to, as to what a hitter's limit limitations are. So it's super important. That part of it is super important. And, and let me talk about the, the two things about this. One is um, there is a perceived gain in the sense that if I stay on my backside and I rotate, number one, I'm going to keep my head still. And, and that's going to help me see the ball better. And number two, it's going to buy me time where, where I can get to this ball that's inside. I can let it get a little bit deeper and still get the barrel to it. Okay. Right. Now, if I do that, if I, if I gain ground, if I gain something in here, I lose it at the other end. So in other words, if I would release my fully, I'm going to be able to get to that pitch way easier than someone who is committing themselves to, to rotational um, speed. So in other words, you're letting the ball get deeper here, but it's costing you on the other end on off speed pitches. So whatever you gain here, you lose down there. So that's just one of those, one of those factors that, that not very many people talk about. It's like, it's all gain, 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 gain by being able to stay back here longer. Well, okay. I guess, I mean, you're, you're not, no matter what, even if you do this perfectly, you're still losing out on one of the major factors in how hard you hit the ball, which is the body speed or the momentum going forward. You take that out of the equation and it's almost, it's almost a direct correlation in all the exit speed tests that I've ever done. When you see a player, like in my swing, for example, when I was playing and first started teaching, I would hit a lot. And my, my exit speed was about 11 miles an hour when I would 100% rotate versus combining the two. Mm -hmm. So it's rotate or it's <laughs> momentum and it's neither one of those by themselves. It's the two together. Mm -hmm. And by marrying the two movements together perfectly, I, in my opinion, you create a whole new one. It's almost like, it's almost like they have a synergy of their own that adds more to the, to the pie. Right. And I, and I always talk to my hitters when we teach this, say if we got a hitter that's on their backside and we're trying to get them some momentum is I have them grab the bucket of balls and hold it out in front. And, you know, I make it weighty enough to where it's not overbearing where a young kid couldn't do it or a high school kid, we put more weight in the bucket and we have them just stand there and lift the bucket up and down three times, just standing. And then I tell them, okay, now I want you to cheat and I want you to take a step forward and raise it. So as you take your step forward, I want you to raise it. So you're using momentum to cheat, to bring that bucket up. And so then I ask them, Ask them after the first round of just standing there static, where are you feeling your muscles working? They'll say, oh, shoulder, forearm, maybe elbow. And then when I have them create momentum and cheat and bring it up, they say, well, it's kind of everywhere. I'm not really feeling it in my shoulder and everything like that. So the, the whole purpose of that of momentum, at least in my opinion, is to make that turn a lot easier. You can, just like with when we, when you, cheat and you take the step forward and bring the bucket up, it's a lot easier to bring the bucket up. So when you need to explode with momentum, you can explode that much faster. It makes yeah. the move safer on your body, number one. And it makes just that turn, like you're saying, I totally agree with that where you get the, the linear momentum and then it helps you with the turn right. a, lot, a lot sooner. Well, the other, the other thing I, I didn't mention is whenever, and I have a little cheater bat here, whenever, you rotate more than you go forward. There's also another factor and that is the barrel is going to stay in that line for a period of time. But as soon as I stop going forward, 
the barrel starts lifting out and up away from that. Now it doesn't have to go up, but it tends to mm-hmm. because as you're, you, there's a tendency to lean back. And so right. right at this moment, you find a lot of people when they're early, they'll hit those toppers mm-hmm. because they they're cheating their body and they roll over this way. So it's kind of a, another way to roll over is to get your body to cheat and then rotates exclusively. But now the barrel is going out this way too soon. And the second I release off my backside, it stays in that line mm-hmm. up to like a beyond a foot. So you buy yourself like, you know, this much more time in line with the pitch by releasing off the backside. And so again, that's a pro and con thing a little bit mm-hmm. because in for every inch I gain going that way, that means I have to be on time for the pitch inside. What, what the world hasn't figured out yet, at least that none, nobody that I've seen yet has, that's talking about it, is that you don't have to have one or the other. I, I don't, that's where I don't – I get lost in what the hell are you talking about? Why, why do you feel like you can only do one or the other? It's like there's only one mindset, and that is – load get your foot down see the pitch oh crap i'm late and adjust your swing in the middle of a 95 mile an hour pitch assortment there is is such a dumb idea from the onset no one can do it no one in the history of the game has ever been able to do it and 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 everybody laughs at that when you say that because well mike trout is awesome well yes um he is awesome but he's awesome on the pitches that match what it is that he's doing. When you look at him on that up and in pitch, we've talked about this almost every time. Yep. He's like a high school baseball player on fastballs on the inside part of the play. And that's what I'm talking about. You don't have to give that up in order to, um, to have a swing that has both of those two factors. You can gain, you can, you can, you can use your momentum and your rotation and get to the up and in pitch Mm-hmm. super effectively and be able to hit other pitches. It's not like it's all or one or all or nothing. Right. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'm sure some out there who haven't heard this before, are like what high school baseball inside inside or a high school baseball hitter inside pitches. Well, what's funny, first of all, is that a lot of these same coaches that talk about this 89% load up on the backside and rotate hundred percent pure rotation, but then they, they show pictures of, of Mike Trout hitting and if yeah. you watch Mike Trout hitting and you drew a circle around his head from the start of his swing to the end of his swing or during his turn, his head not only moves forward, but it also moves down. So number one, <laughs> if you're going to teach that, don't show Mike Trout, <laughs> one of the best yeah, in the game. Exactly. And, uh, and building on your point. So the reason Perry, and Perry can go into this a little bit more, I just want to tease it. The reason Perry says that Mike Trout's a high school hitter on the inside half of the plate, it's because of this, what we, we call the adjustable swing. So you see Trout get into more of this 90-degree arm. I know this, this talk isn't about the front arm bar or anything like that, but um, t- talk a little bit about that, Perry. We don't have to go into super depth, but just to uh, enumerate for people. Who- well, Mike Trout on the inside, up and in corner of the strike zone on fastballs for five years is right around 73, 75 miles an hour of exit velocity. Now, every once in a while, he pulls his hands in, he gets the barrel to it, and he hits a bomb. So every time I mention or you mention on, on Twitter that locking out the lead arm is the right way to go, somebody invariably is going to send a Mike Trout video of him going like this and hitting a ball right on the barrel perfectly and hitting it out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in the up and in corner, he averages 73 miles an hour of exit speed. In the, in the middle up, up and in, and middle in box, which is one third of the strike zone, Mm-hmm. He averages 83 over five years. It's not like five minutes or one five at bats. Five years. We're talking yeah. about five years <laughs> of his heyday of, of the, one of the greatest um, careers in history. He's averaging 83 miles an hour on the, on the third of the strike zone that gains speed. Now I'm not saying he can't get to that because he absolutely will. And I've seen an example of that in 2015 where he actually, got out front more and, and hit like six bombs out of that area and, mm-hmm. and tripled his hard hit ball rate in that area. But it cost him on the other end. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it, it's always a trade-off. There's always a pro and a con. Um, so you can adjust. And if you adjust and you adjust in a way that you're gaining something on this side by, by cheating uh, the time that it takes to get the barrel to the place where you're going to do the most damage, the 100, 100 spot, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to gain a little bit of time, but you're going to lose all kinds of energy. And what's the cost? It's around and in major league baseball, the entirety of major league baseball, they lose about 10 miles an hour on average on, on that, in that area, that up and in area. So the whole world hits has an 83, 84 mile an hour exit velocity in the up and in portion of with using that methodology. Right. Okay? And so you, and, and, and tell the difference, what it uh, down in a way, what his average ball X is. Well, like Mike Trout is one Oh two, one Oh one on a pitch down and away where he gets extended down in middle down and away. He's, he's around one Oh one exit velocity, average exit velocity, not top out yeah. average yeah. exit velocity <laughs> and this 83 up and in average exit velocity. So there's a 20 mile an hour differential in, in his approach. Now, why anybody ever throws him any other version other than up and in fastball, that's just one of those things that baseball hasn't figured out yet. They're, they're, uh, they're about to, and you're going to see some crazy stuff happen soon. Mm-hmm. But they're about to figure out that if you stop throwing the worst pitch in the game, which is down and away fastball, down and middle fastball, mm-hmm. It's the literally the worst it's I did a study once and it was very quick just to find out, but I did all, I took all major league pitches that were curveballs in the top two thirds of the strike zone. So they were hanging. Right. And then I took all the sliders that were hanging (laughs) top Mm -hmm. two thirds of the strike zone. And then I took only the bottom row of, of, of fastballs. And it was like, um, I did changeups, curveballs and sliders. And the worst one, was I think I want to say it was hanging curveballs, but don't quote me on that. I'll I'll go back and look at that. But yeah, it was at least two to one. In other words, two hard hit balls happen on low fastballs compared to one of the uh, off speed pitches that were up, and one of them was twelve to one. There was twelve wow. hard hit balls on fastballs down versus the the one pitch that was up in the zone. I want to say. I, I can't remember which one was which. Maybe uh, the changeup, probably changeup. But it was it was four to one, two to one, and twelve to one. Wow. Probably the changeup because it doesn't happen all that often. But and and it's not a fair. It was not a fair way to look at it completely mm-hmm. because it, you know there's not as many of the of those other pitches obviously. 
So it's a weird thing when you get a slider up and in. Mm -hmm. um, or you get a slider up in the strike zone. It's kind of a weird thing, even though everybody thinks it's an automatic homer every time you hang a pitch. <laughs> but hanging your fastball at the bottom of the strike zone is le legitimately the biggest hanging pitch that there is. When you talk about hanging anything, hanging curveball, hanging slider, fastball down is the hanging version of a fastball. Right, right. Because you have more time. It matches the bat path better. You get extended on it better. There's a... Well, in Mike Trout's case, there's 20 mile per hour differential reasons why behind why the down fastball is stupid. Right. It doesn't right. hide any pitches. There's, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a, a thing on that. The 25 reasons why fastball down and away is the dumbest pitch in the game. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yeah, because that would really <laughs> a lot of people would be scratching their head going, what? exactly. So I'd get them to, to actually. But every one of them's measurable. It's not like I'm making it up. They're yeah. all measurable. They're all. You know, like, like, and it's, this is very slight, but the rotation, like when you throw a fastball, your spin rate is actually slightly lower at the bottom of the strike zone than it is at the top. Mm. And, and so that's one of those things is if you want, if you want backspin, you're going to get it at the top of the zone more than you're going to get it at the bottom of the zone. It's not, it's not dramatic, but there is a difference, at least in the, in, in the, um, the short study that I did. Wow. I yeah. I haven't looked at all of them. And and you should all out there know that you don't know if you if you don't know Perry, which you should. Uh, Perry's got almost what almost three decades of this research, and and it's stats, it's swing experiments, it's a lot of stuff. So it's not like Perry's just picking this out of his hat, his magician hat. Yeah, uh, and and with the momentum, I would say, I would say there's nobody on the planet that has experimented more with with releasing off the backside and putting an exit velocity to it. Mm -hmm. which is always one of the things I had a problem with early on was people would argue, but then they would never have the guts to put speed up with it, you know, or, or consistent contact. And, you know, a lot of guys that hate the T are like, yeah, that's great. You know, you can swing out of your butt and hit a ball really hard off the T and we're not gaining anything by doing that. So we don't even bother. We <laughs> never test off the T. Right. And I'm, and I'm thinking, <laughs> There's two reasons why you wouldn't test off the tee. One is um, you, you think it's below, you know, the hitter. Um, but the other is, is that you can get away with a lot of stupid stuff if you don't test off the tee. You can say whatever you want to, because if a kid walks in the door and he only tests on live, you know, like uh, Carlos, there was a thing. Let me, let me share this with you. Yeah, Carlos Pena, by the way, for those of you out there, Perry worked with. Okay, so I got to share this, right? Yeah, go ahead and share it. And for those listening on audio, I got the video. I'm going to have the video for you. So this is obviously going to be more of a visual thing here. So just go to the video portion of this to see the Perry sharing a, sharing a screen right now in a video of Carlos Pena. All right, so let's see if I can go. Oh, wait a second. One second. I think I grabbed the wrong one. What year was this? Was this back in 2008? Uh-oh, what did I do? Um, this is what happens when you put me in control, dude. <laughs> what do you, what, what's, uh, um, is it freezing on you? No, it, this is crazy. I thought I was past all this. So go, uh, so stop share and then reshare again. 
my screen got really tiny and I'm not sure how to get it back to. Oh, oh, got really tiny. Is it up in the upper right hand corner? Your yeah, I must still be sharing. So if you, uh, oh, there it is. Okay. Hold on one second. Got it. I'm sorry. Yeah. New share. All right. That's the one I want to see. Let me go through quickly this little, uh, So this um, this was Carlos back in 2009. Mm -hmm. So if you if you test someone off the tee, he was right around 100 miles an hour. He was 101 to 99, right in that range. Mm -hmm. And when you watch somebody hit a ball like that, right? hundred miles an hour. So now we know what that number is. So now we we do the same thing, but with batting practice. And now we're at like 106 to 110. And then we go to the games and game, game exit velocity is around, this one's 111, but it was about 119 was his top out. Okay. That's right at the limits of, of everybody at, in baseball. Yeah. In fact, I think it might've been, like number two or three that year. So let's just go back now and you take Carlos Pena and you don't test off the tee and you have him walk into a place and let's just say that he maxes out at 106. 106 is great, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so what happens two months from now when I get him to 110, everything's great. <laughs> Only the problem is, is 110 is a joke compared to where he's supposed to be. And if you don't test off the tee, then you don't have a standing exit velocity off of just what, you're, what you can do physically, mm -hmm. what you're capable of. So you don't have a power potential number to, to see what else happens. And there's a lot of players in the world right now. And if you've never tested this, then you have no idea. If you haven't tested your max exit velocity off the tee, then you don't know if the number that you're getting day in and day out off of live batting practice is the right number. Right. Because um, there's always a correlation. There, if you're efficient, if your swing is at max, and if you're a spin, if you're a spin guy, if you're one of those people that um, believes in rotation alone, I guarantee you're nowhere near your max in exit velocity. You're probably <laughs> 10 or 12 miles an hour away. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, the, the number correlates directly. In other words, if you, if you are at, whatever that number is a hundred miles an hour off the tee, then you better be at one Oh five, one Oh six off live batting practice. And you better be at one ten at least one twelve, one fifteen, off of live game speeds, or there's an issue. There is some kind of an issue. If you don't have a significant jump each time, but a lot of you out there, I promise probably have in, in some cases, your exit velocity off live pitching is less than the T exit speed. And that's, that, that happens because of all the force at impact. So in other words, there's, there's no force hardly off of a T because I'm generating all the force. The ball's creating none of the force. It's just sitting there. And so that's why it's a great number as a baseline to start using. But we, don't, we, haven't, we don't do that because we're, we're way beyond that T thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely correct. And that's a thing, I think it's a great point where you talk about the T versus no T. And I think a lot of people 
to experiment, to track off of a T versus not. I think they're just afraid of what they're going to find where when you use a T, all we're doing is we're isolating the variable. Right. So for those that are familiar with the scientific method, you ask a question, you develop a hypothesis of how you think that question, the answer to that question is you do some research, you do some testing, experimenting, and then you have, you develop a conclusion. And all we're doing is we're taking, once you get somebody throwing a ball to a hitter, now you're introducing a whole ton of other variables, one being timing, one being speed, one being location, whereas off of a T, we can isolate that all those variables and we can actually look at the purity of the mechanics. If we're teaching forward right. momentum, we can have a swing, we can do 100 swings with forward momentum and we can do 100 exactly. without forward momentum and now we can compare the data which exactly. is very important. That's what Perry's talking about. Which you can't do without that number. You yeah. can't compare it to anything. So you're in a round room. If, you if you're in a round room, you can't measure where you're at very easily. Yeah. Right? You have to have a square or some kind of line or some kind of point mm -hmm. to help you measure off of. And so in, in hitting, that's why I started with it was because when you isolate down to having hitting a ball at the tee, as in golf, it's the only way you can be precise with, with everything because it's the one thing that allows you to isolate all those other things and focus just on what's producing speed, what's producing launch angle also. That's another reason why the, the T is a really good thing. And timing, because timing is, it's always exactly the same because sitting on a T, yeah. right? <laughs> but there is a timing involved. It, it is a timing. So in other words, the guys that are doing these self-adjust swings would have to put the T way in here. And I guarantee you, when you start training like that, you might get really good at squaring the ball up with this cheated swing. But I also guarantee you that you're never going to be anywhere near your max. You're going to lose at least 10 or 15 or even 20% of your exit velocity on that. And so now once you step it up to now a ball coming in, now if you've got any kind of inconsistencies with the swing, like, like, for example, if I'm spinning and I'm bending the lead arm, at the moment of impact, all that force, some of it gets absorbed into me, and the ball jumps off the bat softer, period. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that because you don't know what the other number is, so it doesn't matter. So you can, you can have all kinds of talk about what this, what's happening here, and, you know, we, we just got to get a little bit better at this. And, <laughs> and so everything's cool as long as you don't know that on day one, if we test your T, we automatically know what your game exit velocity should be. And if it's not at that, you have some issues. You have some inconsistencies in the swing. That's why testing is so crucial using the T. And I'm going to throw one more thing out there. If yeah, you use ahead. a target, and then we'll finish up. <laughs> if you use a target while you're doing while you're doing exit velocity off the T, testing it, and and you so you have there's a cost for swinging wildly, mm -hmm. right? Now, all of a sudden, things change. So if I put a T at exactly 10 degrees launch angle, and if you miss it a little bit, it's, it's at 20 degrees, and you, and you miss it over the top a little bit, it's at zero degrees, and those are going to hit the target. Everything within 20 degrees of perfect, or that 10 degrees, is, is going to create, um, is going to hit the target. And the second you start missing the target means that our misses are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so by, by adding that, consequence in of having to hit the ball consistent and trying to get speed combining those two things is is what controls people to make them make closer to their game swing 
and, and still they might cheat by a mile an hour or so because there's no fear. But what, what it also does is it, it teaches the very first thing about 100-100. When you're focused 100, it's, and it's actually three 100s. <laughs> it's, it's actually the, the perfect mechanics, perfect timing, and perfect contact, right? Mm -hmm. Of squaring up those two round things. Yep. And the only way to square up those two round things perfectly and know whether you're on time or not is when you put the ball in one place. Because if, if it's moving all over the place, all these different places, I can hit the ball okay, but um, we haven't released it yet, but we have a measurement for that, for, for precise um, launch angle, exit velocity combined. Mm -hmm. But right now, there's no measure for it other than uh, that ball was hit pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so exit velocity is the only one. And, and we're happy with the exit velocity that we're at because we don't know that it should be 10 or 12 or 20 miles an hour faster. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love we're going to wake up to that soon though. I know. I know. And if anybody's going to bring it to light, it's going to be Perry husband. <laughs> <laughs> I what? thought I already did 30 years ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you yeah, just no, test no. it, that's the thing I would leave everybody with. Quit talking about it and just test both, both philosophies. When you test it, the, all the questions go away. But nobody's, nobody, everybody's afraid of that, of that actual testing to go, oh, wait a second. Maybe, maybe adding that release is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I've yet to see a single person, and, it's, and it varies anywhere from 3 to 11 or 12 miles an hour when they are not releasing off their backside, the second they do that number goes up because the body travels somewhere between four, three or eight or 10 miles an hour moving in that direction. When you release the better the athlete, obviously the more speed is moving in that direction. And right. it, it's a direct correlation to exit velocity. I agree. Yeah. Just test it. And that's the thing is some of these people have put 20, 30 years in of their, their, swing and how that's supposed to be and they're, they're not going to test it because they they can't just let that house of cards come tumbling down so totally just test it so i want to be respectful of your time perry where can people find you on the socials i know we talked about in the beginning but just to reiterate and then anything new that you're working on that you want to make light of for people um working on a couple things we'll, we'll hopefully we'll have a uh something that we can talk about really soon um but the uh, you can find me at at hittingasaguest.com or on Twitter it's at ev Perry husband. Um, I, I've got some of the others, but I haven't started focusing on those yet. So yeah, YouTube just put it. Yeah, Perry husband can find you on YouTube. Yeah, um, but we, we we will have some some new stuff coming up pretty soon. But we're gonna have to go back to do the old stuff because I left mechanical hitting. Because I did what I thought was the, the best thing I could do, which is prove that there are some mechanical things that are better than others, launch angle and contact and exit velocity all combined. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is test it. And then I left. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I, I co we come back and now all of a sudden there's all these questions about mechanics and all these arguments about mechanics. There should be no argument. Mm -hmm. Test that versus that. Yep. <laughs> and the second you do, you go, oh, that's 18% better or that's 42% better. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hey, man, I'll, I'll let, uh, 
let you go here uh, right before we go so I can actually control the screen. Can you give me hosting power back? The power to host. Oh, you know? I'm in control is what you're saying. <laughs> I can leave this conversation. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> did you give it did you give it back to me? Here you go. I think I did. So go yep. up to go up to my video up in the upper corner, those three little dots. Click that and it should say make host, make Joey host or something like that. There. Boom. You got it, Perry. Awesome. Right. Well, well, hey, thank you for, again for your time. I know this is part two, so you got two two sections in the book, which would be cool. And then we'll obviously be doing more. This is just volume volume, volume one, by the way. So I'm going to, in the next years, I'm going to be make a volume two, volume three. So we'll have more of these conversations and hopefully we can win some people over to experimenting. <laughs> well, pretty soon they won't have any choice because as soon as, as, soon as you, you let the cat out of the bag and you start testing, then everybody else is going to be like, wait a second. How come my kid's only at 48 when, when I see that kid at 62? I just did this thing the other day. I have these two girls that actually Todd works with that you met. Yep. Um, they're twins. They're, they were 12 at the time. And they're at 72 and 73 miles an hour, respectively. With a softball. With a softball. Velocity. Mm -hmm. they, they turned 13 since we did that little experiment. Wow. Uh, but just super recently. Yeah. But 72 and 73, I've worked with a lot of college teams and they're typically, there's some teams that will have two or three players in the seventies mm -hmm. and the rest are in the mid to high sixties. Uh -huh. So we're talking about like, like two players that are at their absolute or really close. I actually think they can gain three or four more. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's simple. You isolate which movement pattern is not working mm -hmm. and then you add that you get you make that movement pattern better one of them is momentum it's mm -hmm. a big one mm -hmm. and the second you do speed goes up 100 of the time that yeah i found similar thing and i'll let you go on this but I had a college gout division one and uh what beginning of the summer she was at about that 73 72 miles an hour ball exit speed by the end of the summer so two and a half months or whatever it was before she had to report for fall ball she was at 83 miles an hour now most of that was her hard work and she probably wasn't at her at her peak. There was still some, like you said, two to three miles an hour probably that she get in. She wasn't a big girl. She was probably five, six, five, seven, not not really probably Sierra Romero type height. And yeah, within three months. And a softball to gain ten miles an hour off of a you, softball. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's what Todd um did with Rachel Garcia was mm -hmm. eleven miles an hour in yeah. Exoplosy. Yeah. Off the tee. And it was even more than that, really, because her live exit speed was even higher than that. Right. Because you don't lose it. When mm -hmm. you when you do all the when you're mechanically efficient at the moment of impact with a live pitch, you don't lose the energy that you lose with that swing adjust theory because there's so many variables of that are gonna absorb that energy. Right. The ball's not gonna jump. I love it, Perry. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. I mean, we could talk all day on this. I know we could. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, thank you again for making the time today. And man, keep up the good work. I love my uh, my buddies that are the the mad scientists out there that are really hitting the pavement hard. I love it. All right, man. Talk right. soon. All right. Have a happy Merry Christmas too, by the way. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks, bud. All right. Bye. See ya.